great. He is holy. He is worthy. Hallelujah. Simply put, He is. He is. Just fill in the blank. He is. He's water when you're thirsty. Food when you're hungry. A friend when you're lonely. Comfort when you're hurting. He is. He is. Oh, let's love him today. Let's love him today. There's such a touch of the Holy Ghost here. Let's love him. Let's love him. I worship your name, Jesus. I worship your name. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. I say it's good to see brother and sister Jack's back. We've been praying for them. We have brother Mike here. Praying for him and his family in their time of loss as well. Amen. And it's good to have each of you here in the house of the Lord. There's no place I'd rather be. No place I'd rather be than in God's house. And um, I'm so glad I can come to this place and feel his presence. I do feel it here today. Amen. God bless you this morning. Let's go to the word of the Lord today. And uh, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We are starting a new lesson today in our continued series, Living in Truth. Is supposed to be a new converts course, but it's new converts, old converts, and everything in between. And um, so, First Corinthians chapter three and verse number six, the Apostle Paul writes. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Now, 
I don't want to sound contradictory to the Apostle Paul, far be that from me. I'm just trying to explain here this morning. He said, I planted and Apollos watered, but it was God that gave the increase. Of course, he was dealing with a church that was divided as they were picking their leaders. I've always said I feel sorry for whoever was pastoring in Corinth at the time because nobody wanted to claim to be his follower. There were those that said, I, I'm a follower of Apollos. Apollos wasn't pastoring in Corinth. Some said, I'm a follower of Paul. Well, Paul had started the church, but he wasn't pastoring there. Some said, I'm a follower of Cephas, which was another name for Simon Peter. But he wasn't pastoring there either. In fact, there's not even a record that he ever went to Corinth. And then some said, well, I just follow Christ. I don't follow any man. I don't have a pastor. I'm my own pastor. And the poor guy that's trying to pastor the church, there's nobody there claiming to be his. Sad situation. And so what Paul was trying to do in saying here, he said, neither is he that plants anything nor he that waters. It's God that gives the increase. He's trying to say, quit trying to elevate some man because what they were doing in saying, I'm a follower of Apollos, Apollos was the eloquent speaker of the apostolic movement in his day. And so by claiming to be of Apollos, they were saying, we're the intellectuals in Pentecost. We're the smart ones. And then there was the Apostle Paul, who was the man that was carried into the third heaven and so I think they're saying, you know, we're, we're, we're the ones that have really got the move of the Spirit going on. Then, then those that wanted to follow Peter, I guess, you know, Peter was the one who gave the original message. And so they were the old timers that we're, 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 not, we're not moving. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. And then those that said, I follow Christ, well, they were, you know, they were so spiritual, they didn't need anybody to lead them. And, but really what they were doing by naming this leader is they were really elevating themselves. And so when Paul said, he that plants is nothing, he that waters is nothing, he's saying, get your eyes off of men. Because I can go plant and Apollos can go water. and We can do whatever we do. But if God doesn't step in and help us, nothing's going to get accomplished. But there's another side to this. And this is why I say I'm not contradicting Paul. But there is another side to this. And that is that God doesn't give increase until somebody plants and waters. God instituted a law in the beginning, the law of the harvest. God set that up 
when he created the world. And things don't grow where nothing's been planted. And just because it's been planted doesn't mean it's going to grow. Or at least it doesn't mean it's going to grow in a healthy way. Somebody's got to tend to it. Somebody's got to take care of it. Somebody's got to water it and weed it. Fertilize it. Work with it. Now it's God that gives it life. It's God that brings about the germination of that seed. But God requires workers to get this accomplished. And so don't misunderstand Paul when he says, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth. Because they are important. The one planting, the one watering, they are important to get the job done. And I think that's why he comes back and balances it out by saying... Here, that every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. If the one planting and watering was unnecessary, there'd be no reward for them. But they are necessary. And then he says in verse 9... We are laborers together with God. That's what brings it all into focus. Yes, it's God that gives the increase. But God working with us. Now, I'm going somewhere and I know you're standing. But, you know, when I say God working with us, I don't mean that in the sense... Bishop Westberg used to tell the story about the mouse that crawled up on the elephant's back and walked across the bridge. The elephant went stomping across the bridge, and when they got through, the mouse looked at the elephant and said, Man, we shook that thing, didn't we? Well, I don't think the mouse contributed very much. So we, we've got to understand, we've got to understand who's the one that's doing the real shaking here. And so when he used, when a mouse used that term, we, that's not what I'm talking about here. We're, we're laborers together with God. God does want us doing some shaking. God wants us doing our part. Because the law of the harvest requires planting and watering and weeding and fertilizing. That's the way God allows it to happen.
And nothing gets accomplished without human participation in some way. Outside of some miraculous acts that God performs. Everything else that gets done is done by human involvement. And so today, I said all that to give you my title. My title is taken from verse 9. And today we are beginning a lesson. We'll see if we get the whole thing finished. I think I've got about nine pages here. But um, we'll see how far we get. But I want to title this Laborers Together. Laborers Together. Would you put your Bibles down? Let's lift our hands. Let's lift our voices and talk to the Lord. And I'm asking for your prayer today. I'm not feeling the best, but I know God can help me today. Let's, let's ask the Lord to help us. I need His touch. Lord Jesus. name can we worship him together one more time before you're seated come on everybody lift your voice let's worship the Lord let's worship the Lord everybody amen amen you may be seated praise God you know we're living in a in a in a strange age. We really are. It's um, it's not at all uncommon to see posted online clips of people being beaten. People being mugged, people being shot. And, and I'm not just talking about the brutality, the robbery, or the murders. But what I think is so strange and unusual is that in those clips, there's always a crowd just standing around watching. I read, and this was some time back, but I read that there was a newspaper article in a major city told the story of a woman who had been stabbed repeatedly until she died. This bloody attack took place within the view of as many as 40 witnesses. Not one. 
of whom tried to save her. Nobody cared enough about her life to get involved. And I'm going to tell you, when you read a story like that, you have to ask, who was the greater enemy? Yeah. Think about that. The knife-wielding attacker or the 40 indifferent people who just pulled down their window shades and decided to go on with life? Who is the greater enemy? Church, I want to tell you today, and I want you to understand what I'm about to say. As I've, I've talked a lot in our previous lessons, I've talked about the enemies of our soul, the world, the flesh, the devil. I want to announce to you what I think may be the greatest enemy of the church today. And that is apathy. Apathy. Just a lack of concern. See, really, and I've said this before, the devil is really not that big of a problem. So many times we, we talk about the devil, we talk about, you know, the, the devil's fought me and the devil's working against me and the devil, and that's what the devil does. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But the fact of the matter is the devil really shouldn't be a problem for the child of God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, read for me. You're of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now listen, this is just an absolute statement of fact. This is not a, a, a promise. This is just a statement of fact. Right. Thank God. If you have the Holy Ghost living in you, you have a power far greater than the power that the devil can amass. That's it. Yes. All the devils in hell put together are not as strong as the spirit living inside you. Amen. Amen. Whether you use that power or not is another story. But the power's there. And so when we falter and we fall, we can't turn around and point our finger at the devil and say, well, it was his fault. Yeah, he may have tempted us. Yes, he may have thrown a stumbling block in our way. But ultimately, we refuse to use the power God gave us to overcome him. And so it's not a problem. In dealing with spirits. The church should not be afraid of demonic spirits. I've seen people, I've been in services where somebody comes in devil possessed. And man, folks want to start running. They want out of there as fast as they can get out. They, 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 don't, they don't like it. 
I'm not afraid of the devil. I, I, I watched a man, big man, but he wasn't this big. But he, we, had, we had solid wood altar benches longer than these. Probably, I, I'm going to guess, probably about half as long again as what these were. And they were solid wood. And I watched that man one night. The Holy Ghost started moving. And, and he, he, walked, he, he was laying across that altar at one end. And before I knew what happened, he had picked that thing up like a baseball bat and was swinging it around. Now that was not human strength. Now you could see it in his eyes when his eyes would just turn red and he'd start snarling and he'd, he'd start ripping at his collar and, 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 and you just watch it and you know this man's full of the devil. But I, I, I don't remember ever one time being afraid of him. We shouldn't be scared of the devil. We have power over the devil. I'm going to tell you a far greater danger than any demonic attack is that we become overcome with a spirit of apathy that we just don't care. In fact, I read, you know, I don't, I don't follow the sports teams, but I, I read, um, I said Frank Layden, who was, uh, this was back in the 70s, he was the coach of the Utah Jazz basketball team. He, he was having problems with one of his players. And so this was, it was a very talented young man that just wasn't really accomplishing much. And, and according to a magazine, they, they said that this coach called this player into his office and looked him in the eye and he said, I, I don't understand you. I don't understand what's going on. He said, is it ignorance or is it apathy? And the boy said, coach, I don't know and I don't care. that later. Ignorance or apathy? It was a little bit of both. I don't know. That's ignorance. And I don't care. That's apathy. But I want to tell you, it's a sad, sad day when saints of the living God have an attitude, I don't care. I don't care. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to just walk in the church and say, man, look at this. This needs to be fixed. That needs to be fixed. This needs. But do you care enough to fix it? A pastor that I know told about, he said he watched his people. He, he watched them get to a place that it was like they just weren't even hardly aware of their surroundings. And so he said one Sunday morning he got to the church really early and he said, I just went out and I just, I, I just, I just filled the parking lot with limbs and 
and trash and he said, I just, I laid it out all around the parking lot. And he said, the, where, the way my office was set up, I could look out my window and I could see everybody that drove in. And he said, I watched as car after car would come in and drive around it and go park. Drive around it and go park. And drive around it and go park. And nobody would go clean it up. I believe that if we care enough to get involved, we can reach this lost and dying world. Listen, our world is, is on a head-on collision course with eternity. The overwhelming majority of the world is lost and going to a devil's hell. And what are we doing about it? They told me years ago at Bible college, a preacher was preaching and he told the story of driving down the road with a preacher friend of his. And he said they were driving through a major city. And he said he was looking around and he was seeing all these people. And he said tears began to run down his cheeks. And, and he turned to his preacher friend and he said, All of these people are lost And his friend turned and looked at him and said, so? I hope that we never reach that place. I really don't think it's even a question which is the church's greatest enemy. The devil or those Christians who simply pull down their window shades and don't care enough to get involved. Helen Keller wrote many years ago, Science may have found a cure for most evils, but it has found no remedy for the worst of them all which is the apathy of the human race. There was one writer, he was dealing with the mentality. You know, I remember as a boy, it, it, it was becoming a common mantra in society for people to say, God is dead. One man wrote, he said, in, in this century, the problem is not that God is dead, problem is man is dead because man just doesn't care anymore dare we to simply yawn and ignore the horror of coming doom how many times have we in our conversation discussed the end times that are undoubtedly upon us 
as we watch even our own nation move more and more towards a digital currency, as we watch more and more of our freedoms becoming at stake, you do know there's already talk again of coming lockdowns, mask mandates. It's, it's coming. And what are we doing? Just going on with our lives as though nothing's happening. And the world collapses around us. Let it not be said that the 21st century apostolic Christian is dead. It's time for the church to shake off the spirit of apathy and get involved in the kingdom of God and start working to accomplish His will. Church, it's now or never. This is our moment to rise up and, and seize the opportunity and begin to work for God like never before. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Now I, I'm I'm gonna tell you, I didn't I didn't realize, I honestly did not realize. Thursday night when I gave my state of the vision, and, and for those of you that were not able to be here, I do hope that you will listen to the recording if you if you were not able to listen in that night, I hope you'll listen to the recording. I, in fact, as your pastor, I plead with you to listen to the recording. I want you to hear what God's doing at the Truth Church. I want you to know what's going on around here. In the last three months, we have had 119 guests in three months' time. I want to tell you, church, we've got the greatest opportunity we have ever had. There is an open door before us. There is an open door before us. But what are we doing about that open door? Listen, I am, I am pleading with the truth church today. I'm not trying to get on to you. I'm trying to plead with you. We've got a great opportunity right at our fingertips. Let's not lose the momentum. Let's not drop the ball. Let's get involved in what's going on. And let's reach our city. Let's reach our state. Let's reach our nation. Let's reach our world. Let's get involved. Let's become labor together in the work of God it's harvest time it's harvest time it's harvest time I said this Thursday night and, and again I, I I didn't realize when I when we made the presentation Thursday night, I honestly, I had not at that point, I've had such a busy last two weeks, I had not even looked ahead to see what was coming up in our series. And this has been in our series. And I, I had not looked ahead to see 
what was in the series. Uh, in fact, I was thinking that the next lesson in the series was uh, for this, this new converts course that we're teaching was separation. And I knew I wasn't going to do that because we're doing that uh, on Tuesday nights. And so I wasn't going to take another uh, lesson. And so I didn't even know what was next on the list until uh, finally I, I started looking at the schedule that, that I had and what was coming up next in this and, and then realized that this was and I thought, you know, I believe that's the hand of God. I believe that, 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 that when I presented to the church Thursday night this vision and, and, and renewed the vision and did my best to get you on board with the vision, I, I believe God had already worked it out ahead of time that I would come back on this Sunday morning and say, hey, let's get involved together. It's not time to sit around and look at everybody else and wonder why somebody else is not doing the job. It's time for every one of us to do our part in the kingdom of God. I'm calling for all hands on deck. I'm calling for everybody to pick up their share of this burden. Let's catch this vision. Let's get to work. Let's do something for God. Let's blow the seams out of this place. Well, hallelujah. Burst the seams, blow the roof off, whatever the metaphor may be. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. You understand the word let's? Let us. That's let's is an abbreviation for let us. Let us do it. Us. 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 Not me. Not just the leadership team. Us. Everybody. Working together. You see, church, really, if we're going to call ourselves a Christian, the very title is an argument against indifference. Yeah, Christian means like Christ or of Christ, right? A Texan is of Texas. A Kansan is of Kansas. A Christian is of Christ. Now, if we are like Christ, can you imagine Christ just not getting involved. Listen to what Romans chapter 5 verses 7 to 8 says about him. Romans 5, 7 to 8. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you understand what these verses are saying? He said, you know, for a righteous man, some people might be willing to lay down their life. You know this man. You know, because if, if, if you're laying down your life for him because he's righteous, you know that he's righteous. It's not because he's wearing some badge that says righteous man. So you know him. 
You're connected to him. Peradventure for a good man. Well, how, how do you determine if he's a good man? You know him. You're connected to him. But the Bible says that the way God showed his love is that while we were still disconnected, he had no obligation to us. He could have set up on his throne in heaven and just let us go on our merry way to hell. He could have. You know what it cost him? You know the price he had to pay. Because he didn't just get involved. He made the ultimate sacrifice. It wasn't just a matter of giving a few hours on a Saturday. He paid the ultimate price. While we were yet sinners, still despising Him, still rejecting Him, when He had absolutely no obligation to us, He died for us. Now that's what Christ did. Can we really say we are Christian, Christ-like, if we can simply watch people go to hell, or watch our brothers and sisters be in need or hurt, and not respond. If we are really Christ-like, if we are really Christians, we'll be willing to give ourselves for others. We'll be willing to give up our time, lay aside our pleasure, sacrifice our desires, To meet the needs of others. That's what a Christian is. Well hallelujah. If God's work is to succeed. We have to get involved in it. Hallelujah. He gives the increase. But only if we plant and water. We've got to give God something to work with. You know, I preached a message. It's been some time back. And I, I don't even remember now what I called it. But I remember, I remember the, the gist of the message. And, and in this message, I, I showed how that after the creation, I don't find another example of God making something out of nothing. God always required something to work with. When the woman had 
her barrel of meal and cruise of oil almost empty. It wasn't empty. And she used what she had and God multiplied it. When he wanted to feed the 5,000, he didn't just speak bread and fish out of thin air. He said, go find me something. And he broke it and multiplied it. Right? The widow who had the debt collectors come, he said, go find vessels. Not a few. And start pouring oil into those vessels. And the oil continued to flow as long as she provided vessels. And when she quit providing something for God to work with, the oil stopped. I'm telling you, this is the way God works. After the creation, God now requires that we present something for Him to use. So church, listen to me. Hear my burden today. We are wasting our time to simply pray, God, fill this church. If that's all we're doing is praying. Well, that didn't get very many responses. So I'll say it again. It is a waste of our time to just pray, God, fill this church. If that's all we're doing is praying. The Apostle James, the brother of our Lord, said, Faith without works is dead being alone. It's dead. So we can hoop and holler and shout and run. God's going to fill this place. God's going to fill this place. But until we're out there bringing people, it's not going to be full. We have a job to do. Isn't it interesting that when Christ came, the name by which the angel identified him was Emmanuel. What does that mean? God what? God what? With. With. God didn't place himself on the outside of the church. He's here working with us. Working in us. You know, I've, I've, I've used this illustration many, many times, but I, I want to drive the point home today. When God opened the door to the Gentiles, he found a godly man, a praying man. 
And he gave him a vision of an angel. What an experience. Have you ever had an angel appear to you? This angel appeared to Cornelius in a vision and talked to him. He didn't just see an angel. He carried on a conversation with him. Read for me Acts chapter 10 verses 3 and 4. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. So the angels carry on a conversation with Cornelius. Now I'm, I'm telling you, if God's going to go to the trouble of sending an angel to talk to Cornelius. And he's doing this for what reason? Why did he visit Cornelius? Was it just, was it just to bless him? It was to see him saved, right? The whole purpose of this was for Cornelius to be saved. So why doesn't the angel just say to Cornelius... All right, Cornelius, repent and be baptized in Jesus' name and receive the Holy Ghost. Why didn't he do it? He could have. But what did he say? We stop with verse 4, read verse 5. And now send men to Joppa. Send men to Joppa. And call for, and one, call Simon, for one Simon. Whose surname, whose surname is, is Peter. Peter. And if we kept reading, he would say, he's the one that's going to tell you what you ought to do. Now, now, let me just tell you, the point is this. God goes to the trouble to send an angel, but an angel doesn't take the gospel to the man. The angel points him to a human being you got to find a human being that's willing to share the gospel with you. And God was working on Peter and working on Peter, giving him the same vision three times to get it through his thick head that he could reach a Gentile. God was doing what he can, could to get beyond the prejudice that was in Peter's heart, and it was there. Even after receiving the Holy Ghost, he was prejudiced. But God had to knock it out of him. Because God was trying to get him to look beyond racial barriers. But God prepared a man. And I'm here to tell you, if the man had not told Cornelius what to do, Cornelius would not have been saved. So we sit here and pray, oh, God, save them, God, save them, God, save them. And God is replying, go tell them, go tell them, go tell them. Oh, I just lost some of you. Well, look, even, even the chapter before, I, I, guess I, I guess I should have started in chapter 9. Because we see this same thing happening here. You've got Saul of Tarsus persecuting the church. This wasn't a matter of, of being a racist. 
And, and, and look, yeah, I'm sorry to admit it, but Peter struggled with it. Yeah. Yes. He did. Yeah. Yes. He absolutely did. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, even years later, he was still struggling with it. To some degree, because Paul had to withstand him to his face. Because he was he was fellowshipping those Gentiles all right, but often other Jews came around, and all of a sudden Peter acted like he didn't know the Gentiles. Now, there was still some of that that he was battling with. God had to work on him. God had to get it out of him. But but with Paul, it wasn't racism. It it was religion. Paul was so convinced that Judaism was right that he was imprisoning and even having put to death Christians. And so the Lord, now this is not a, this is not a situation where the Lord sent an angel. This even goes beyond that. I do know of individuals that have had angelic visions. But this goes beyond an angel. This was the Lord Himself that shone a light down upon Saul of Tarsus, knocked him to the ground and blinded him. Now, He said, what would you have me to do? What an open door. For the Lord to say, Paul, repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Ghost. It would have been so simple. Jesus could have done that. But he didn't. He said, you go into the city and you find a man. By the name of Ananias. And he's going to tell you what you need to do. Now God was working on Ananias. Same thing. God's having to work on Ananias. Saul of Tarsus is coming. He's coming. And you need to be ready. And Ananias said, wait a minute, Lord. Whoa, 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 whoa. Not Saul. I've heard about him. He's putting people in prison. He's causing people to be put to death. He's caused a lot of trouble, not him. And the Lord said, I have a great work for him to do. You know that two-thirds of the New Testament, while we can give the Apostle Paul credit, there is somebody else that deserves some credit. It's a man we never even read about again. But one time, one time, God needed him to witness to somebody else. And Ananias was willing to witness to that man. And because Ananias was willing, Saul was converted. And because Saul was converted, he became Paul. 
And after he became Paul, he wrote the majority of the New Testament. But it all hinged on one man being willing to witness to another. Somebody had to get involved. Somebody had to care. I wonder how many apostolics were praying for judgment on Saul. God, you see what this man's doing to us. God, we could have such great revival if we could just get rid of this man. Oh, no. Your greatest revivals will come because of this man. Hallelujah. But somebody's got to get involved. Somebody's got to get a burden. Somebody's got to raise the window shade. We can't just go hide from this man. Somebody's got to witness to him. Somebody's got to talk to him. Oh, help us, Jesus. And then what an attitude Paul had. What a spirit that man had. Listen to what he said uh, when he wrote to the church at Rome. Romans chapter 1, verse number 14. Listen to this. I am debtor both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. I owe them a debt. What? What? What have the Greeks and barbarians done for Paul? That's not the point. The point is God gave me something that changed me. And they need what I've got. It's not about what they ever did for me. It's about what God did for me. And now I owe a debt to every man. Oh, that God would give us that kind of an attitude. Oh, that God would let us look around and see every person, every waitress, every, every checker in the grocery store, every co-worker, every neighbor, that God would let us have this feeling, I owe a debt to them. I owe them a debt. And then look at what he said about this debt. In verse number 15, he said, So as much as so in me, as much as is in me, I am ready, I am ready to preach, to the, preach gospel the gospel to you, to you that are at Rome, Rome also. also. He said, I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor to the Greeks. I'm a debtor to the barbarians. And so with as much as is in me, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Oh, God, baptize us with that kind of attitude. Baptize us with that kind of a spirit. God, somehow, let our eyes be open. Let our ears be attuned. Let us recognize everywhere we go, everyone we meet, we owe a debt to them. 
And let us be ready. Yes, God. Jesus. Hallelujah. No one should have to shame us into reaching the lost. No one should have to put us on a guilt trip to make us do it. Said this the other night, but it shouldn't even require a once a month outreach effort on the calendar. In fact, that's not really outreach. We're just, that, that's just a drop in the bucket. Outreach ought to be a lifestyle. Thursday night I talked about farmers. I said, what, what kind of farm would a man have if, if the only time he tended to it was one Saturday a month? What kind of crop would he have? What kind of harvest would he reap? And yet, God's going to fill this church. We're going to build a new building. Really, what are you doing? Well, once a month we're getting together. No, 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 no. No, it's, it's got to be every day. It's got to be everywhere we go. It's got to be foremost in our minds. Whoever I meet, whoever I see, wherever I go, whatever's happening, whatever's going on. God, I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor. I've got this debt hanging over me, God. I've got to do something to repay it. not a job for the quote unquote outreach team. In fact, you want to know who's on the outreach team? You are. I am. Whether or not we're doing what we should be doing on that team is another question. But we've all been assigned to it. Not by the pastor, but by God. God called us to do this. In fact, He saved us to do this. That's why you're in the church. You're not in the church to skip hell. You're in the church to win somebody else. I've said it before, if he just wanted you to skip hell, he could have saved you, killed you all in one fell swoop, and, and then there'd have been no worries. Right? right? No chance of backsliding then. The moment you talk in tongues, boom, close your eyes, you wake up in heaven. No chance of backsliding then. No chance of being lost. Got it made. If that's all he wanted to do. But he left you here. Because he's got a job for you to do. He didn't just save you. He employed you. He hired you on. He brought you into his vineyard. Because 
The harvest truly is plenteous. But the laborers are, are what? Are what? The harvest is plenteous. But the laborers, that's where we've got a deficiency. There will always be a great harvest. This, too, is not just a promise. This is a statement of fact. The harvest is plenteous. That's a statement of fact. They're out there. Hungry hearts exist. Hungry souls are around us. They wear a lot of different faces. They dress a lot of different ways. Some are wealthy, some are poor. Some are young, some are old. They come in every race, ethnic group. Every social standing, somebody, somebody is hungry. Somebody wants to know. And you have the answer. You possess the answer. I... I don't claim to be anything, but I, I do know that over the last 27 plus years, if there's anything that I have done, I've preached doctrine to this church. Doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. Do if there is a church on this planet that ought to know doctrine, it ought to be the truth church of Olathe, Kansas. That's for sure. Right. You ought to know this. You have the answer that the world is looking for. Right. Amen. This is really not even the direction I intended for this lesson to go. I wasn't planning on making this a lesson on outreach. Because there's a whole lot more ways to labor in the kingdom than just this. And maybe... In part two, we'll get into some other areas. But, but this is just what I'm feeling today. I, I really, really believe that the world around us is hungry. And we have what they're hungry for. What you've got to do, saints of God, is you need to pray for God to help you have the right presentation. Think about what I just said. Have the right presentation. I, I've, I've spent some years in sales. I know 
the presentation makes the difference. And I, I, I spent a few years selling water purification systems, in-home water filters. And I'm telling you, I had a little kit that I took with me when I went in those homes. And it had test tubes and it had chemicals. And I'd run samples of their tap water. And if they were buying bottled water, I liked it even better. Now you'd be surprised what's in bottled water. And they, some of them would have these big jugs, you know, they'd, they'd have brought into their home. Little water cooler deals that they'd set there. And they, we're, getting, we're, we're buying our water. We're not drinking out of the tap. Let me test that, would you? And I'd test their tap water and I'd test their bottled water or their purchased water, whatever it was. And, and I'd, I'd have my little kit set there and I'd put those test tubes down there. And, and I had a little towel with me and man, I'd, I'd wipe my hands off and I'd just kind of drape the towel over so they couldn't see what was going on in those test tubes. And then I'd start talking to them. When the time came, it was, it, it was time for the great unveiling and I'd pull the rag off of those test tubes. And I'd say, now... This is your bottled water. And I'd show them all of the sediment and all of the stuff that was in the bottom of that tube. This is what you're drinking. And then I'd pull out their bottled water. So now I want you to look at all the stuff that's in this. But I also had my little portable filter with me that I'd hook up to their sink and I'd, I'd run a sample test on that portable water at the same time so sometimes I'd have two or three uh, little test tubes going at the same time and I'd pull out the one that had run through the filter and I'd show them there's nothing in there that presentation was there for a reason they had to realize they needed what I was selling And then it was my job to convince them they could afford what I was selling. Right? And so we were taught. We were taught how to show them that this is what it's costing you. All of this sediment, all of this stuff is, is making your, your uh, hot water heater work harder. It's affecting your health. I'd go through all of these expenses. I'd have them all tallied up. And I'd show them that the monthly payment on this water filtration system was much cheaper than what you're already paying. The point is this. I had to have a presentation to convince them they needed what I was selling. Now, church, I, I mean, I believed in the system. I really did. I wasn't out there just giving them a sales pitch. I believed in it. I had one installed in my home. Um, of course, I was getting them at a discount back then. Uh, but we had one for years because I believed in it. I really believed it was, it was better for us. And... Um, 
But I had, I had to learn the right way to present it to convince them that they needed it. So that's why I said a while ago, you've got the answer. You just need to pray that God will give you the right presentation. And you know, what sold some people on the filter was just the sediment in the test tube. But then they would be convinced they couldn't afford it. And so at that point, I'd have to show them the financial side. And for some people, it was the, the finances that sold them. But it wasn't the same presentation for everybody. And I'm telling you, this is where you need wisdom. He that winneth souls is, is what? Wise. Is wise. And do you know that James promised us that if any man lack wisdom, he could ask of God and God would give it to you liberally. In fact, God would not upbraid or chide or rebuke or mock you for asking for wisdom. God is not... God doesn't frown on you when you ask for wisdom. He'll give it to you liberally if you'll just ask. God wants you to have the wisdom to win this world. Wisdom is not just walking in and saying, read Acts 2.38. Sometimes wisdom is being a friend. Sometimes wisdom is shedding a few tears when they're hurting. Sometimes wisdom is just being present. Sometimes wisdom is controlling your temper. Sometimes wisdom is taming your tongue. Because what you're doing is wetting the appetite of others who will look at you and say, whatever it is they've got, I want it. I want to be like they are. And you know how that's going to happen, church? Is when you get the attitude, I want to be like he is. Because if they can see enough of him in you, they're going to desire to have what you have. Oh, I feel this this morning. I feel this this morning. God, help us, help us, help us, help us. Yes, God. We need your help, Lord. Help us, Jesus. Help us, God. Church, I'm telling you, if I've ever felt anything in all of my life, I feel this today. Our world is hungry right now. It's hungry right now. Our world is desiring something more than what they possess. And we have it. We've got what they're looking for. We have the answers they desire. We've got to get out there and tell them. We've got to get out there and show them. We've got to take it to them. We've got to do something. 
We've got to become laborers together in this work. Everybody joining hands with a brother, with a sister. Nobody carrying the whole load by themselves. There's too great of a job to do. There's too much work before us. We can't get it done just one or two at a time. We're going to have to all pull together. We're going to have to all work together. We've got a job to do, saints. Musicians come. Let's stand together. I'm going to stop right here. I've got a long way to go today. Oh, Calvary. Oh, Calvary, would you please, please speak to me. Tell me how much I owe. I want to repay. Then a voice echoes clear from the hills of old Judea. Tell the lost. Tell the lost. Tell the lost. Calvary's calling today, saints. Calvary's calling today. Can you hear it? Can you hear it? This world is dying. This world wants what we have. 